Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Immigrantly, a weekly podcast that carves out a space for voices often sidelined in crucial conversations. I'm your host, Sadia Khan. You know what? Growing up in Pakistan, I experienced firsthand the influence of a collectivist society, where the collective always took precedence over the individual. This mindset deeply shapes how we perceive relationships and our duty to maintain family bonds, often at the expense of our own well-being. However, studies have revealed the significant role close relationships play in managing stress. Personally, I can attest to this truth. I talk to my siblings, especially my sister, every single day finding solace in her support. Family for me is my anchor, my confidant, my source of strength. But what if those relationships, instead of nurturing, breed misery, toxicity, and trauma? How does one overcome such challenges and rise above the pain? Today, we explore the inspiring journey of a remarkable guest who faced these very struggles and emerged triumphant. Today, we have the multi-award-winning podcaster and sex educator, Sangeeta Pillai. Sangeeta is the host of the Masala podcast that features interviews with South Asian women about taboo topics and their personal narratives. Sangeeta is also the founder of the South Asian feminist platform, Soul Sutras. She is the winner of six British Podcast Awards, winner of Spotify Sound Up 2018, and she was nominated a change maker at the Visionary Awards 2021. Sangeeta has been featured on BBC Radio, The Guardian, Huffington Post, Evening Standard, Cosmopolitan, and the list goes on. Today, I get to hear Sangeeta talk about her long and rich journey from what she calls a Mumbai slum to becoming a powerful voice in the South Asian feminist movement. 
सो लेट्स वेलकम संगीता टू इमिग्रेंटली Welcome to Immigrantly Sangeeta. I am so happy that you're here and I love 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 the bright red on you. I had to brighten up something because it's a very gray New York day. It reminds me of London and I'm like I haven't gone very far Sangeeta. <laughs> <laughs> When did you come to New York? So I've been here for this is I think day 8. How are you liking it so far? So I love the city. I love the energy, I love the buzz. I'm constantly lost, which is why I'm late to this podcast. Which like is all fine. the streets look the same to me. And 42nd, 43rd, 40th. I'm like I was on 44th now. No, 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 you're on the wrong street. How long are you staying in New York? So for? I'm here for another 2 weeks. I'm here for a total of a month. Um I want to really kind of get into the groove of the city, meet a few people, do interesting things. Really kind of understand the vibe of this city. My first impressions are amazing. I love it. You know what I've lived in this city for over 13 years and I still haven't seen so many places and I haven't done so many things so I'm glad that you're trying to do everything in yeah. this one month and you're trying to explore it because it's an incredible city yeah. it reminds me of Lahore It reminds me of Mumbai funny enough. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know it's a bit crazy. It is a bit crazy. Which is what it is, I think, which is what it reminds me of Mumbai. Sangeeta talking about Mumbai. Now on your podcast in different interviews, you've talked about how you grew up in a Mumbai slum. For listeners, what was it like growing up there? Can you take us back to your childhood? It was um I'll be honest really really hard um it was tiny i think maybe there were how many kids at that point two two kids mom and dad and the whole home would have been double of this podcast studio probably so the what they call the bathroom which is like a little bit literally like a space with a hole in the ground was there the toilets were outside so you had to kind of go outside to you know hmm. use the facilities It was really really hard. Um and I guess maybe being there I didn't really know any different. I think until I moved away. Now when I reflect back, now I lived this very very different quite privileged life in London. And I think about what it was like for us. And I almost can't feel a bit disconnected if that makes sense because it's so different. It does make sense, but why do you think that part of your life is important for you to talk about? I think it's the journey that's really really important to talk about and all immigration journeys as you know you come from one place you end up in another and you've got to make those connections between the places and who you were at that point and who you are now and for me it's very important to talk about it, and I'm only starting to talk about it now because it's hard to come from there to be here sitting with you now in New York You know if somebody had said to 5-year-old Sangeeta that you know you will have this amazing life in London then you'll be in New York talking to another podcaster from Pakistan from Pakistan <laughs> of all the places I would have not believed it because it was inconceivable that someone like me could ever leave the slum that someone like me could have a life could have my own home you know all of these things where I have like you know two bedrooms and two bathrooms it seems luxurious You know so it's very important I think to to talk about the journey. Sangeeta you said what you were and what you are now. 
Who are you now and who were you back then? So back then I was a an Indian girl from a very traditional Indian family. I was the first girl in my family to go to university to get a job, so that's who I was. And part of my journey was also to fight with my family to have the rights that I wanted. They wanted to get me married off when I was 18, 19. I didn't want to do that. So that's who I was. And now I'm very much my own woman. I, you know, run my own podcast. I've got a really successful podcast. I have my own home. I kind of inspire other South Asian women really to challenge some of the things we've been taught. So I think I'm a very different person to the person I was. And it's been kind of this journey of pain and growth and privilege also, I guess, at the end. Sangeeta, talk to me about fighting for rights. Now, I was reading about you and you mentioned how your life or your childhood influenced you to become a feminist. And there are so many emotions that conjure up when we hear the term feminist it means different to different people i don't subscribe to white feminism i believe in intersectional feminism but i think that too has evolved in some ways when was the first time you heard the term feminism and how do you define it So this will make you laugh. I had never heard the term feminism. Like in India, feminism as a word didn't exist. I'm not I, surprised. Yeah. In fact, I think it's almost tabooed because it's seen as an import, a Western construct. So I'm not surprised at all. And a lot of women in India, and I'm sure Pakistan will say, we're not feminists because it's like this Western idea, right. I think. So I've only heard of it in the last maybe... since i moved to the uk so i moved to the uk about 18 years ago that's probably the first time i heard of it ah so to me what i was doing was fighting for my survival survival of who i wanted to be who did you want to be i wanted to be somebody who had the right to choose my own life decide who i was going to marry or not marry decide if i wanted to have children or not children decide where i wanted to live decide what i wanted to wear decide what work i wanted to do and if you come from a traditional south asian setup none of those choices belong to you even if you're kind of it's it depends if you grew up in a supposedly a liberal family they're still trying to get you married off there i don't know any south asian women in traditional setups that are said you know like actually darling you don't need to get married if you don't want to you're right but i remember when i wanted to get married i was in love with my husband and my dad was like why would you want to get married just you know focus on your career and your life and he may not be you know the atypical. mainstream a typical dad yeah, yeah. but you're right again our stories all of our stories are different we don't come from a monolith group mm. so this is your story absolutely, right absolutely absolutely and i think the point i'm making is of course you were very lucky to have a dad who said actually beta you don't need to get married beta you, yes you know like <laughs> <laughs> i'm paraphrasing but i obviously got that right but in 9 out of 10 situations especially when i was growing up in 1980s india there were no choices the only choice available to a woman was to get married and have children like and then if you were allowed to work and i say i put quotation marks when i say this because it was like a huge thing for you to be allowed to kind of have your own career right. if your husband allowed you if your father allowed you it was a very patriarchal system 
So, and even actually, funny enough, even to this day, I work with a lot of British Asian women who are, you know, who are lawyers and, you know, doctors and engineers and, you know, privileged lives. But even today, the expectation of a South Asian woman is very much somebody who is, has to get married. You're right. Has to have children. Like, and if you don't, you get asked what is wrong with you. So the, the traditional or typical expectation is very much, you might be a rocket scientist, but are you married? Have you got children? Sunita, how is patriarchy in India different from patriarchy in England? It's a very interesting question. So I think in India, it's a lot more obvious. It's like, you can't do this. What are you wearing? You know, they'll tell you to your face. It's in your face. It's in your face. Uh, You go out, you get groped. Wherever you turn, patriarchy exists. Of course, there are lots of Indian women, you know, doing amazing work to, to make those changes. In the UK, which is the other place where I have experience, it's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more, like I was saying to you earlier, like the expectation is you might have an amazing career, but have you got a husband? Uh, You might be doing phenomenally well, but why haven't you got children? What's wrong with you? So, you know, like this expectation comes from, it's an old expectation and we've carried it on. Also, I think the interesting thing in the UK is the migration history, because this is kind of what's relevant to your podcast, is I'd say maybe three, four generations old. So they moved maybe in the 40s or things like that. And I think when they moved, they experienced a lot of racism, the people that moved at that time. And maybe they weren't the most economically advanced people as well. So they ended up corner shops and things like that. So even now, I feel like um, that kind of ancestral trauma is carried on. So even if you're outwardly, I don't know, you feel British, you might, whatever, there's still that subtext of like being Indian or Pakistani or Bangladeshi means those traditional values because that's what your great-grandparents or grandparents brought with them. Sangeeta, but patriarchy exists for the dominant population as well. White women face it in Western societies too, right? So patriarchy is this one universal fuck-up that everybody experiences, Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's no getting away from it. The world is run by men. Right. Uh, Big corporations are run by men. Social media is run by men. Financial institutions are run by men. So, Not that we are against men. We're not. We're just asking for (laughs) equality, which might be like a very revolutionary idea. (laughs) Can you give us the same money and the same opportunities that you have? You know, so of course white women face patriarchy and are struggling against it. And it comes up in a million different ways in every single day. You know, you get on the subway or the tube and a man sits in a particular way that he takes up more room and women have to shrink themselves. You know, that's like a very everyday example. That's such an interesting observation, right? I never noticed that. Oh my gosh, that's so true. I've had to learn to not shrink myself. Like my first reaction is to make myself small. And then I have to now say, actually, hang on a minute. I have every right to be here as this other person. So I have... started to expand myself a little bit. I put my hands on the, the kind of the, the, the rests because, you know, we've got every right to be there. Sangeeta, I want to talk about issues that are tabooed. You talk a lot about sex and sexuality on your podcast, Masala Podcast. Guys, you should absolutely listen to it if you haven't yet. In fact, your podcast starts with Besharam, Badtameez. Why did you choose to start it with those words and how did you come to terms 
with being comfortable around talking about sex. So the the reason I started with those words is Batmeez Besharam is because we hear that all the time even if we don't directly hear that. It's like you're wearing this outfit it shows whatever your knees Besharam. You're talking back to your father. You're asking questions Batmeez. Oh you can't ask questions. You can't How ask questions. Dare you How ask questions? dare you ask questions? That's just the rules, right? So to me I wanted like a shortcut to sort of get people to that place where like oh god you know i've heard that and you know obviously the limitation is it's only in hindi and i speak you know i'm malayali there's a lot of south asian languages but i had to pick the most common one and hindi felt right. the safest but the reason i chose that is like if anyone tunes in it's like okay what what is this because those are the things we've heard growing up you know every month of every year of our lives if we did something any way different so that's the reason why and i think your second question was how have i got comfortable talking about sex i think sex and sexuality are intrinsic parts of who we are our bodies are beautiful our sexuality is beautiful whatever that might be for each of us i think particularly south asian patriarchy has taken that away from us that power again the message is if you're getting married you know your sex or your sexuality belongs to your husband you have sex to please somebody else that's what we're taught i wanted to really challenge that and really get us to sort of sit up and notice to say hang on i've got this body i've got the right to pleasure you know and not just sexual pleasure pleasure in every sense but sexual pleasure too it belongs to me and why should i give it away to somebody else you know so that's the reason i started talking about it and i think it's very important sex isn't just a haha nudge nudge wink wink thing Sex is who we are. Sex is how we became. We came into this world. We're all a product of sex. You, me, everybody else in this room, right? So when we start to get comfortable with that, we start to get comfortable with ourselves, our identity, our body. I think of it as an expansion of ourselves when we get comfortable with our sexual self. So here's the thing: when we think about sex and sexuality, as you said, it's something that we should be comfortable talking about. but i assume it wasn't this aha moment for you it was probably a journey can you walk us through how you became comfortable talking about this because a lot of times people think oh she had this particular memory or moment where she was like ah now i can talk about sex it doesn't happen that way right no it doesn't happen that way like exactly like you say very rightly it was a journey growing up nobody talked about sex and i'm i don't know how it was in your house but even oh if there gosh, was like a kissing scene did. on the tv my mother would say what the what is this crap you're watching so we learned to associate shame with sex it's like there was something shameful about it whereas it's the most natural thing in the world so that's how i grew up we never talked about it we never i i learned about sex through reading women's magazines you know those advice columns where somebody writes in this <laughs> magazine called femina in india in the 80s that's the only place and i report through this and i'm like there's something i'm not being told i knew there was a big secret that people weren't telling me yeah. so i'd get all these back copies old you know raddi wala the, the the back copies of 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 this magazine and i'd pour through all those questions and then i pieced it together in my head say ah okay that's how this works So that's kind of my sexual, you know, knowledge. And then I was married, I got divorced, I moved to the UK, found myself dating again. And I had never done that. Like again the times that I grew up in India, we didn't date, we just kind of got married, you know, to people. And when I was dating, I remember thinking, "Oh my god, this feels amazing." 
And I remember thinking, but if this feels so good and so natural and so amazing, why are we told like this is wrong? Hmm. And then it occurred to me, yeah, we're told this is wrong because they keep us away from our bodies. It's the best way to keep somebody trapped is like to say you're disconnected from your sexual most right. kind of vital self. So that's kind of my awakening in that sense. I started to think about it. I started to write about it. I've written quite a lot for about sex as South Asian women, why we're kind of disconnected from it. And I've come right back where now I talk about, within our culture, I talk about things like Kama Sutra and Tantra. That comes from South Asian culture. So it's not like we were always like, oh my God, we're never going to talk about sex. We did. We wrote the whole kind of tome about sex in 4th century BC when I think the Europeans were climbing trees, if I'm not mistaken. We were writing about this etiquette of how to be a good lover. You know, how do you please your partner? How do you woo them with like, you play the veena and you give them pan and you like this, this whole kind of, it was a, a skill to have. Every kind of cosmopolitan person learned, I don't know, how to play the veena and how to be good at sex. It was kind of expected of you. And this is where we come from. This is our culture. So somewhere along the way, we've kind of lost it. And I want to kind of take us back to, to that. Talking about taking us back, give me an example or an anecdote of a conversation that you've had with another South Asian woman, maybe your guest, um, about sex and something that you learned, something that surprised you. I interviewed a South Asian porn star on Masala Podcast. She's called Sahara Knight. And she's been in like Game of Thrones and things like that. But, you know, her, her primary work, she's a porn star. And she talks about on the episode, so go listen, um, <laughs> about a specific South Asian fetish that she comes across in her work. So she's also like a sex worker and a porn star. So apparently South Asian men have like a auntie fetish. Oh, no. Yes. Seriously? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so, again, it doesn't surprise if you, you know, like a lot of our culture still, unfortunately. Why doesn't it surprise you? It doesn't surprise me because as a race, we are very repressed. We're not allowed to talk about sex. We're not allowed to have sex. We're not allowed to, like, watch it on TV, whatever. It, it's, there's no big, you know, openness about it. What are the only women a lot of Indian men see or Pakistani men see? The aunties and the mums. Huh. They're not hanging out dating other girls. They don't meet girls their own age oh whom gosh, they're having sex right. with. So where's it going to go? This is a, like sex is a very natural human urge and it's got to go somewhere. There's nothing wrong with auntie There's nothing, fetish though. There isn't. There isn't. I mean, we are not being ageist. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But I just thought it was really funny. I had this vision of all these young Indian men like <laughs> looking at all these aunties going, oh my God. <laughs> so you talk about issues that are often tabooed, difficult conversations, right? How do you balance the fun and the serious on your podcast? Because your topics range from can brown moms be funny to the pressure women face to become mothers or to talking about childhood sexual abuse? So how do you decide when to talk about personal experiences, when to have thoroughly researched conversations and how to balance it all? So for me, the whole process of how I choose a guest or the theme is very intuitive. I let the guest lead. So I find, so the way I kind of structure is find people who are interesting, 
who have interesting things to say. How do you done def- interesting things? How do you define people who are interesting? So not just like a celebrity who's famous. So if I'm interviewing, even if I'm interviewing a celebrity, like have they done something interesting with their lives? Do they have a point of view that is interesting? So I almost kind of let that lead um, the theme. And so far it's worked beautifully and it kind of, even at the end of all the recordings of a, of a season, I will look at like what are the themes and I'll balance the light and the heavy and, you know, so that everything isn't heavy at the same time or too light. Because I think that's what life's about, you know, like you've got to balance serious, difficult things with fun things and light things. And with your question about when do I decide what to talk about my own experiences, I talk about my own experiences every single podcast. Why is that important? Because I think it's important for those listening to know that I've experienced those things. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be honest. I want to be authentic. I don't have the answers. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is like, hey, guys, look, this thing happened to me. And then what that does, and women have said this to me, those who listen to my podcast, like they've referred back to, you know, on that episode, you spoke about this thing that happened to you. It really helped me because something similar happened to me, too. So I now know I'm not alone. Other women experience this. Again, this has been very intuitive. I've never sat down and thought about it. I think it's natural for me to share. Because I think when you share, other people hear you and they feel less alone in their own life journeys. And sharing is less normal for us South Asians. We are asked or we are told not to share. And we are told to keep those boundaries between what can be made public and what is private. So it takes a lot of courage to share, right? I'll circle back to taboo topics. Now, a lot of times people like you and I talk about our experiences and taboos or restrictions and patriarchal implications of how and where we grew up, which is all fine. It really resonates not just with our own communities, but with Western, um, predominantly white communities as well. But what I've noticed is When we talk about things that make the dominant population uncomfortable, our likability plummets. And I have talked about things that may be inconvenience truths for the dominant population. Have you done that on your podcast and how do you tackle those issues? I don't know. Maybe this is just my experience. I haven't had a lot of negative uh, feedback, actually. I obviously, everything is about, you know, messy truths and uncomfortable things. Like I'm talking about sex and I'm talking about periods and talking about whatever, motherhood. But maybe it's just I'm just lucky. I don't know. But even when I'm talking about, because my podcast is very much specific to South Asian culture, but other women, white women listen to the podcast and they'll come and say to me, particularly like the motherhood episode, so many women wrote to me. What was the motherhood say, episode about? So I interviewed Pragya Agarwal about the expectations of motherhood, like how there's a very specific expectation for motherhood for women. Like we're supposed to be certain kind of mothers. We all have to be mothers. Talk some more about um, that. So basically the expectation is that a, first of all, every woman that has a vagina will reproduce. I'm sorry. That, you know, like, You're right. You know, I agree. First. And even if you do have children, 
um, you will give up your life to look after these children. And I'm not saying, you know, like, don't look after your kids, but it's like women stop being women once they become mothers. They're supposed to be just like solely mothers. There's a very specific expectation within society, South Asian society, Western society, all societies, that women have to have children and they have, then they have to be specific kind of mothers. And we don't give room for women to be who they are within that motherhood journey. But Sangeeta, to your point, don't you think it is about having those choices at the end of the day, right? So if women choose to stay home and take care of their kids, that's okay too. If women choose not to work, that's fine. Absolutely. And that's what feminism is about. I was right. speaking to a friend yesterday. And she was saying this to me. She's like, I don't, I am a feminist, but I, it's not what you expect. And I turned around to say, but that is exactly feminism. If you want to have 10 children and stay at home and have your husband look after you. Yes, by all means. <laughs> the point I'm making is it's about choice. Right. I think feminism gives us choice. And unfortunately in the world, women don't get a lot of choice. We're either told directly that we have to be a certain way or... Uh, grow up with this conditioning that we have to be these kind of people who do these kind of things. And as you said, this is true for all women. Every woman, whatever your culture, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your background, we carry this baggage of what we're supposed to be like. And not just whether we're mothers or not. We're all supposed to be skinny. We're all supposed to look amazing at all the time. You know, we're all supposed to have our hair perfect or whatever, you know. So there's no way to be a woman without, you know, fitting into those very specific boxes, I think. You talk about feminism a lot too. But don't you think in some ways feminism is also exclusionary of, say, trans people? And I wonder, as feminists, why can't we use the term activist? Why is the term feminist more apt in some situations? I think they are interlinked. Uh, to be a feminist is to be an activist. It's how I'd, I identify. So I say I'm an activist first because my activism is about women or those who identify as women to get a voice in the world, to have the opportunities, to have the choices that the rest of the world has. So I think they are interlinked. And I think, like we were saying earlier, it, it is just about people having choices and equal opportunities, whoever they might be, whatever they might identify as, you know, and the, that freedom to say, I'm, I identify as a woman or I identify as trans or whatever that might be. So I think that, I think we're fighting that same battle. We might have different words You're right. to describe it, but we're asking for the same thing. So, Sangeeta, you're in New York because this season of Masala podcast is about women in the U.S. What are some of the differences that you noticed between interviews that you did in, say, England versus the U.S.? So this was a really learning opportunity for me as well. So I went into the U.S. season of Masala podcast thinking, oh, it's the same, similar things. I'm going to hear similar things that I hear from British South Asian women, that I've heard from Indian women who I've interviewed in India. But it really surprised me how different it was. How so? What was really interesting to me is how much more comfortable American South Asian women are with their culture. They are very comfortable with their dual identities. 
So I interviewed this young um, Disney star, Avantika, who's on the, this season of the podcast, who's wearing sari. She's 18 years old. She's rocking up in saris. People are, I don't know, celebrating their festivals a lot more here. Do you think it's also generational, though? This is a purely my theory, okay? This is based on <laughs> no research or anything. But I think my gut instinct is British South Asians, because they faced a lot of racism, and there's like a colonial hangover in the UK still, have had to decide whether they wanted to be British or South Asian. Uh, and if there's only one allowed at each time, uh. right? Whereas Although maybe, they have strength in numbers. They have, it's, it's a very massive population. Seven and a half percent of the UK is South Asian. That's massive. It's the biggest minority. But it's a quiet minority. It's not as vocal. Um, you know, you don't see as much as you see in the US. I feel like in That's the US, particularly in the last maybe couple of years where I've been kind of looking at it, there's an explosion of South Asian brands, fashion brands, beauty brands, media. You know, everybody from like Mindy Kaling to like all these beauty brands is for, there are four beauty brands is for, led by South Asian women. We don't see that in the UK quite as much. But I would say this South Asian identity in the U.S. at least is centered more around Indian identity. Mm -hmm. We don't see as much exposure of Bangladeshi South mm. Asians, Pakistani South Asians. Did you find that to be true? Um, that's a really good question. I, To me, I'm kind of looking at it as a South Asian lens. I'm not really looking at it as an Indian Pakistani. But you're right. Like, I think most of the people I've seen are probably of Indian origin or Indian heritage, which is a shame because I think there, there should be more of representation of across the board. Yeah, because South Asia, again, yeah. is more holistic yes, and it it's much broader yeah. than one country or absolutely. one identity, right? Absolutely. Even within India, there are so many yeah, different yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. identities. Absolutely. But I guess what I see is at least there's there's this. There's there a is lot some more. representation. There's some representation. And there's a lot of like, it feels like very successful representation, which I feel like in the UK, we, I don't know, the last, I was speaking to somebody, the last... South Asian thing I saw on TV was goodness gracious me, like in the 90s. Ah. I've really seen too much else. And I talk about the lack of visibility of South Asian podcasters. I just did an article today. I tagged you, actually. When we finish this podcast, you can go listen. <laughs> about how invisible we are, South Asian podcasters, within the podcasting landscape. You're right. Like I go to like, I win podcast awards. I'm standing there. I'm looking around. And there might be another four or five people that look like me. The rest of the room is full of like white people. Is it because South Asians don't like to podcast? I think they don't think it's for them. I think like anything, you have to see it to want to be it, you know. You've got to see a lot of people who are maybe South Asian podcasters and then maybe young South Asian yeah. people might want to be podcasters. They don't see it at the moment. In a similar way to like now that we've got representation of South Asians in media, I'm sure that a lot more people want to be producing TV or be actors or whatever or, or have fashion brands or beauty right. brands, right? You have to see it. But I don't think we see it enough. So I think that's probably why, in my opinion, I don't really, you know, I'm not, again, not an expert. So I love it. it. I love it. You're right. You bring up so many important points. Sangeeta, what's next for Masala podcast? So I really want to do another American special. Ah. So I did season five. So I've got 11 episodes or speaking to amazing South Asian American women like... 
The Vogue editor, Varsha Sharma, Ravina Aurora, who's a big music star, Reshma Sojani, who's like a very successful entrepreneur. So I've really in, like loved these conversations because it's taught me a lot. And I'm somebody who needs to learn and be, you know, do new things. I get very bored with the same thing. So I feel like I want to continue and do another American season and really have a few more conversations like the one I had for this. And yeah, so that's next. I'm also writing a book. Oh, I love it. What is the book about? So it's a memoir. It's kind of talking about some of the things that happened in my life and the things I learned, touching upon similar themes, you know, all the themes that I talk about in my work. So that's next. Um, And I don't know, there might be some curveballs I might I don't know maybe move countries I don't know oh my gosh we would love to have you here (laughs) I would love to like so far I've loved being here it's only like day eight but I love the energy I love the friendliness of everybody Ah, I'm surprised you say that because New Yorkers are not seen as friendly they've been really nice to me I don't know how the British are. Maybe they are even worse. So yeah, you find New exactly Yorkers. Super friendly. Yeah, <laughs> it's all relative at the end. It of the is day, all relative, exactly. So Sangeeta, in the end, I'm going to ask you to define America, the U.S. I've been corrected by the way people have said. Why do you say America? Because you know America is like what North America, Canada. So I have corrected myself, and now I say the United States of America. Having lived here for only eight days. <laughs> I was just going to say, you realize I've only been here eight days. <laughs> oh, what are your thoughts so, so far? So far, for just basing it on New York and eight days in New York, I feel like there's a very, um, there's a very buzzy energy here. It's very high energy. That's all New York, by the way. Yeah, it's only yeah. in New York. There's a sense of, I don't know, like a sense of infinite possibility, like anything could happen and you could be anybody here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. You could be anybody. You're not defined by who you were. You come here and you can be whatever and whoever you want to be. Of of course, there's, you know, there's, I can see the poverty. I can see that there's a lot of, I'm not saying it's all amazing and shiny. I can see the problems as well. But I think the overall feeling I have is of high energy and a kind of sense of possibilities. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I mean, yeah, theoretically, yes. Practically, not always. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. But Sangeeta, thank you so much for being on Immigrantly. Where can people find your podcast, your website? So if you Google Masala Podcast, I will come up. So I'm the same on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, everywhere. Just look for Masala Podcast. And uh, my work is, my website is soulsutras.co.uk. So Soul Sutras is my South Asian feminist network under which Masala Podcast sits. I'm also on Instagram under Soul Sutras, Twitter, Soul Sutras. These days I'm also active on LinkedIn, but you can look me up at Sangeeta Pillai, Soul Sutras, and you'll find me. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. What a fun conversation. I hope all of you enjoyed our chat. Now, if you liked the conversation, if something resonated with you, if you have thoughts, write to me. I would love to hear from all of you, our listeners. You can write to me at sadia at immigrantlypod.com. This episode was produced by me, 
written by Rainier Harris and me. The editorial review was done by Shay Yu. Our editor for this episode is Steve Martin. Theme music for Immigrantly is done by Simon Hutchinson. Come back next week when we have another important, incredible conversation for you. Take care, be kind to yourself and to others.